0: Yeah, I want to uh, pray for Pastor Dan before we begin. He, he got an ear infection Saturday. Of course, Sunday he was here. He preached, not feeling great. And then uh, yesterday he started feeling worse. And then today he called me up in the morning. And he, he said, I'm so dizzy. So, so let's pray for him. And I don't know if it's the medication or it's the ear infection, but, but the Lord knows and Lord, we want to lift up our pastor, Lord God, and we just pray your healing touch upon him. Whatever is causing this dizziness, Lord, we just pray you take it away, and Lord, we just pray you pour out uh, your strength and healing and comfort upon him, and upon Jackie, Lord, as she ministers to her husband. Lord, we thank you for them, and we just pray that you would wrap your arms of love about them, and, and Lord, just, we know you're faithful to meet any need they could have, and so we bring them before your throne. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, tonight. So if you want to turn there. And as I was uh, going through the chapter, reading the verses, we're going to be in verses 13 to 16. Reading the verses before that, uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the, the issue of divorce came up, And marriage. And this verse, verse 6, he's talking about marriage now. And he says, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall shall become one flesh. So that they are no longer two, but one flesh. And so here, God addresses the issue of same-sex marriage. He says, Marriage is between a man and a woman. But he's also going to address another issue here, one that we're dealing with today. And it's kind of interesting. In my computer, the Bible program I have on my computer, if there's an Old Testament verse in the New Testament, the Old Testament verse is capitalized. It's all capitals. So the words... Made them, male and female, are all capitals. And I look at that and it makes me think of the transgender movement that is currently the rage, it seems. And I did some research. A person changing their gender has been around for a while. The first person, it was in 1906, a man named Carl Bayer, he became the first transgender person to undergo sex reassignment surgery but it seems like in the and, and from 1906 to maybe 20 years ago there was isolated individuals here and there but the past 20 years has become more prevalent where where people and even children are encouraged to change their gender through through treatments through surgery so i just want to just share a little bit about this you know, transgender, it's, it means a person has decided to change their gender. Now, I might, by, by the danger of using common sense and simple biology, it would seem if a boy has a boy's body, he's a boy. And if a girl has a girl's body, she's a girl. But it's not what people believe today. And so... As always, what, what should we do to find the, the truth about this? We consult God's word. Because he's the authority on everything. Everything. Because he's God. And there is no other God. And he's the most intelligent. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. And he created man. He created the universe. And so we see God made them male and female. You are who you are physically because... God determined you would be that way. Thinking we're something different doesn't make it so. I can think, you know what, I'm African American. In the summer, I get very dark. So I can believe with all my heart, my ancestors were slaves. It can be firmly established in my mind, but it doesn't make it so. Changing your sex, gender, much more extreme than thinking, I'm a different race because I can't change that even if I want to. So why is this happening? Why are we going through all this? Well, if you're young, young people can be confused, misled, we're gonna talk about that more in a little bit. Adults, I believe it becomes a mental issue, uh, an emotional or psychological disorder Believing something you're not. You know, I think of a person that's anorexic. They don't want to eat because they're overweight, even though they're extremely thin. And they look in the mirror, and they see themselves as overweight. That's the image that comes into their brain. And so they need help to change their mind. Transgender person, you look in the mirror, you see the body you have. You don't see a different body. But in your mind... You're a different gender. You're a different person. And so it's an affliction of the mind. And as another result of this movement, and this is even worse, believing this means God made a mistake. He's made many mistakes. If if God ever made one mistake, he's not God. He's not God. God intended for someone to be a girl, but he gave them a boy's body. And you know what, this shows disregard for the word of God, not believing that it's truth. You know, today we're too sophisticated to go along with a book that was written thousands of years ago, a word that's outdated, a word that's not current with, with today's time. But Psalm 119, verse 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgment endures forever. Forever. And so just to show how far we've fallen, now we have doctors performing surgeries to change children's gender. And it's happening right in our old backyard. They're doing gender reassignment reassignment surgery at the Galasano Center at Strong Memorial Hospital. And we have teachers, educators encouraging it. And as I said, young children are vulnerable. They can easily be swayed, but they're being taught, if you're not happy with your gender, change it. Change it. But God said in his word, God made them male and female. So how many genders are there? Two. I heard this about Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, but I heard this, so I researched it. According to Facebook, there are 57 genders. I thought it was more than that. But then I found another website that listed over 80 genders. How is this happening? We don't look to God for answers, for truth. And so the father of lies, Satan, is allowed to, to distort, to lie, to confuse. And people buy those lies hook, line, and sinker. And now we have our government. Our government protecting the right of people, many times children, to change their sex. And so you have males competing in sports against females, sharing their, their locker. I just heard an incident that just happened just a few days ago. This transgender athlete, he's a, he's a male, he's on the women's volleyball team. Now, I don't know if you've played volleyball, but you, know, you get up there and you spike the ball and Males, nothing against women, they're bigger, stronger, but they can fire their ball, and this transgender athlete spiked the ball, hit this girl in the face, gave her a concussion, and she's got eye damage. Ridiculous, it's ridiculous. And they compare it, transgender rights, they compare it to civil rights. Civil rights, likening it to, to blacks desiring to be treated fairly and not be discriminated against because of the color of their skin. Well, you're born that way, right? You're born that way. You, don't, you, don't, you can't change your race if you want to. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. So what can we do as Christians in the midst of this madness? What can we do? Well, first of all, proclaim the truth. God's name and God's word are being dishonored and, and blasphemed. Let people know what God has to say about this. They may not agree with you, but we have a responsibility to speak the truth. And if we're silent about matters like these, it may appear like we condone them. But we're okay with it. And of course, in these days where good is called evil and evil good, you will be called unloving hateful, judgmental. But you know what? Let God be the judge. If we're sharing the truth in love, then we're doing the right thing. We're doing what God has called us to do. You know, sharing the gospel may not be a popular topic with some. They don't want to hear about heaven and hell. They don't want to hear about Jesus. And, and Paul knew all this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22-24, to 24, he said, for Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And then listen to this. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. It's foolishness to people. But does it mean take anything away from it? So, I'm thinking about sharing the truth, and I want to share uh, a little something. Uh, Larry and Debbie brought this to my attention. This is from uh, Jonathan Kahn, a devotional he does. Very, very interesting. It's called You on a Titanic World. Imagine you're on the Titanic. It's Sunday morning, the day of the ship sinking, and you know it in advance. People are eating and talking about things of no significance. You watch it all, and you want to wake them up and say, stop, don't you know it's going to sink? Stop wasting your time and get ready so you don't perish. You don't have to imagine it's you, because it is you. It's us. You are on the Titanic. This whole life is the Titanic. Everyone in this life will sink, die, and then comes judgment, eternity. Around you, people are getting lost in diversions and details of this life, and they're sinking. If you had the chance to say the Titanic and to say something that day, would you? Really? Then what are you doing about it now? Is it any less wrong for you to withhold sharing the gospel with those perishing now than to withhold what you knew on the Titanic? Tell the gospel to everybody. Share it. Proclaim it. Bring them in, for the Titanic is real, and you're on it. Wow, and you know what? It's true. It's like we're on the Titanic, the world's sinking. And, and we know. We know what's going to happen. We know the future. It's, it's, it's wild, but we do. It's been revealed to us in, in God's word. But you know what? This is so convicting to me because there's times I know I should share the gospel and I don't. And then I think of those words Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you when I come in glory we got a responsibility. You know, someone said, I heard this a long time ago, we know the cure to the greatest disease man can ever know. The greatest disease is sin because its effects are for all eternity. We know the cure. We know Jesus. So proclaim the truth, first of all. Second of all, pray. Pray for those who are confused, being misled, innocent children making permanent changes to their bodies, Pray for our leaders to do what's right, to do what's best for children, for people. You know, Jesus doesn't take this all lightly. In Mark chapter 9, verse 42, he said this, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. In in the King James it says, and whoever whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. And the word offend, very interesting, it means to entrap, to trip up, to entice to sin, to cause them to stray from the truth. So in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, Jesus has an encounter with children. You know, I love kids. My wife and I have four I've been involved with children's ministry ever since I got saved. We have two grandchildren. I would love to have more. I don't know if I want to have 14 like Dan and Jackie, only because you know I couldn't remember all their names. <laughs> After all, it'd be like, "Hey, buddy," or "Hi, honey." <laughs> you know, but kids are can be cute, funny. Fun to spend time with, you know, because when you're with them, you get to play. You get to act like a kid. Now I spend a lot of time with, with our grandson, Owen, and we mostly do what he wants to do, which is play. So I guess I'm just a, a kid in an old body. Uh, I don't know if some, some of you remember the show, uh, Art Lickler Had, Kids Say the darndest Things. Do you remember that show? That was a funny show. I love that show. I mean... Kids would just—they're not trying to be funny. They're just answering the questions that they're given, but they—they they just say the funniest things. They're affectionate. They're innocent, and Jesus loves everyone. But I think maybe He has a special place in His heart for kids. So let's look at Mark, chapter ten, verse thirteen. And then they brought little children to Him, that He might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those. Who brought them. And the word they there in the Greek, it's masculine, so it means fathers, but there were probably mothers there also. And the adults not only wanted to be there to be with Jesus, but they wanted their kids to see him up close, to, to even go up and get a hug, sit on his lap, because they knew Jesus was loving, kind, compassionate. You know, I think about parents will, will stand in line for hours so their kid can sit on some stranger's lap, dressed in a costume, and wearing a fake beard. I mean, we did it. Maybe not for hours, but we did it. You know, and, and they're okay with that because they, they, they want their kids to be blessed. They believe it will be a fun experience. How much more of a blessing for a child, think about it, for the kid to actually touch the Son of God? Wow. I wish I was there. I would have gone up and sat on his lap. (laughs) I wish I could hug him, but you know what? If you know Jesus is your Savior, we're going to do that someday. And so, touch. they, They wanted Jesus to bless them. And if you love your kids, you want the best for them. They sense there's something special about this man. And they wanted a blessing from Jesus upon their kids. I don't know exactly what blessing they were looking for, perhaps to ensure a prosperous life, a healthy life, but, but they wanted their kids to be blessed by Jesus. And then look what happens with the disciples. They rebuked them. thinking, these kids are going to bother Jesus. He's got more important things to do than spend time with a bunch of kids. You know, sometimes these disciples could be so dense. Didn't they know by now how loving Jesus was, how kind, how he was always thinking of others before himself? And maybe maybe they didn't have any kids, I don't know. But in their defense, it, it shows the culture of their time. Kids were not highly valued back then, except to provide labor. And, and so that way, males were especially favored um, I came across this. There was, they found a, a papyrus, a scroll. It was dated June 17th, year 1, B.C. And it contained a letter of instruction from a husband to his expectant wife. And it, it said there, to, this is a letter to the wife, if it's a male child, let it live. If it's a female, cast it out. And so in that culture, kids weren't always highly valued, but we know Jesus highly values everyone. And so let's look at verses 14 and 15. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, and he said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. You know, Jesus values all people, young and old, tall and short, Happy, grumpy. And it says here, greatly displeased. He was greatly displeased. And I found out it's the only time in all the Gospels we find Jesus feeling this way. So I guess he did love kids. And he said, don't forbid them, because of such is the kingdom of heaven. You need to receive the kingdom as a child. What does Jesus mean here? We need to receive the kingdom of God as a child. Well, children are trusting. They believe what they're told. You can tell a child the moon is made of cheese, and they'll say, really? Wow. Can I get something to eat? Why? They trust that you know things, and you're telling them the truth. Well, in the same way, God revealed truth to us in this book, the Bible. And he expects us to believe it, to obey it. And to trust that he knows what he's talking about, and then he won't lie to us. Children totally depend on their parents for the basic necessities of life, food, clothing, and shelter. And most kids, except if if a child is homeless, uh, most kids don't worry about where they're going to get food. They're going to have clothes to eat, a shelter, a place to live. They trust their parents are going to provide all these things. We need to trust that God will provide for us. He's promised he will. Philippians 4.19, And my God so shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All, which means there's no need he can't provide, and need, not wants. Sometimes we see a want as a need. I want this. We don't say I want it. say so I need that. All right? In reality, our needs are few. And we're told to live simply, keep a light touch on possessions. Children are eager. They want to learn, they want to play, they embrace what they're doing with, with enthusiasm, with an energy. You know, again, my grandson Owen he loves playgrounds. So when we, we take him to a playground, he runs to the playground, and the whole time he's there, he's running around. I wish I could bottle that energy. He's enthusiastic about it. He he, he wants to be there. You know, we should have an eagerness, that kind of eagerness concerning spiritual manners, like prayer. Do we view prayer as a blessing, as an honor to be able to come before the throne of God anytime, anywhere? Or is it something that's boring to us? Do we look forward to, to spending time in God's Word? Spending time alone with our Savior? Do we have an eagerness to learn about Jesus and and what he wants from us? Do we have a desire to share him with others? Do we have Jesus' heart for the lost? Are we excited about people receiving Jesus as their Savior? Children are sincere. Usually they're honest when they speak, sometimes too honest. They haven't learned yet about using a filter, about things they observe. So sometimes you know, they'll see somebody and they'll say, Wow, you're bald. Or you got a big nose. <laughs> they're not trying to be mean, they're just speaking what they see. We need to be honest, sincere with God. You know, we can fool just about anybody, but we're not going to fool God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So the kingdom of God is simple to enter. Jesus said you must receive it as a child, you don't need to work for it. No amount of works will obtain salvation. You don't need to understand everything that's in God's word. You don't need to have this great mind and and spend years studying it. What do we do need? Something a child has. Simple, trusting faith. And another example of how much God loves us. He made it simple. You know, before I got saved, I knew all about Jesus, heaven and hell went to a Catholic school eight years. I was smart in grammar school. And so when the gospel was shared with me, believe, and you're saved, you go to heaven. I've shared this before. My, my, my words were too easy. See, I, I understood what heaven was. Great place. I wanted to go there, but I thought there's got to be more required of me than just believe. I didn't know It's not about what I can do. It's about what Jesus did. Now, our salvation, not an easy thing for Jesus. It came at a great cost. Physically, he was beaten. His beard ripped out of his face. Scourging, which alone, being scourged would probably kill most people. A crown of thorns rammed on his head, having to carry a heavy cross, spikes driven through his hands and feet, hanging on the cross, very difficult to breathe. He had to keep on pushing himself up to breathe. And then to add to all that, the worst of all, facing the wrath of his father for sin. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to shed his blood? Because it was necessary for salvation. Hebrews 9, verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The word remission, interesting word, it means freedom. It means liberty. It means you've been pardoned. And that's what Jesus endured for us, for our salvation, to be saved from the penalty judgment for our sins, which is eternal pain and suffering. So he did that. Now, what's our part? What's our part in all this? God tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Believe in your hearts, not just a mental assertion that Jesus is real, that he did live on this earth at one time. Faith comes from our hearts, and, it, and what's in our heart, we express. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And God made it simple because it's his desire that everyone goes to heaven when they die. Everyone, 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now that's his desire. But don't confuse his desire with the fact that everybody goes to heaven. God wants all to be in heaven, but the means to get there is the cross. Jesus's cross, and He gave mankind free will, so our eternal fate ultimately rests with us. Where are we go and we die. But another of Satan's lies—he's got people to believe everybody goes to heaven, right? All paths lead, are, you know, lead, are the same. Different religions, belief systems—they all lead to the same destination. But Jesus said, "I'm the way." He didn't say, I'm away. And Acts chapter 4, verse 12, says it so simply, so powerfully. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Simple faith. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is a little child will not enter. Uh, Warren Worsby had this to say. He said, we enter God's kingdom by faith, like little children, helpless, unable to save ourselves, totally dependent on the mercy and grace of God. And we enjoy God's kingdom by faith, believing that the Father loves us and will care for our daily needs. Can't save ourselves. You can do a lifetime of good works. It's not going to bring you any closer to heaven. We're totally dependent on the finished work of the cross and the Lord's resurrection. You know, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What was finished was the work Jesus came to do to, to obtain salvation for all those who believe. So let's look at uh, verse 16, Mark chapter 10, verse 16. After he said this, and says, and then he, he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and bless them. Jesus is going to get his way. It doesn't matter what the disciples say. He took him up in his arms. You know, a way we show affection is, is to hug. And I realize everyone's different. Some people are not huggers. And, you know, that's okay. It depends I, a lot, I guess, on the way you were raised. Or if, if you're concerned about germs, especially in this day and age. You know, I'm of Italian, Italian heritage. Italians are very huggy people, right, Larry? Very touchy-feely. You know, men hug and kiss each other. Uh, I believe Jesus was a hugger. No matter how you feel about it now, I guarantee you're going to want to be a hugger when you get to heaven, when you see him standing before you. And he's going to hug us. I don't think anyone's going to feel uncomfortable. Oh, no, don't hug me. No, he's going to hug us. He's not going to give us a choice. The only question I think about is, now how long will I get to hug them? You know, do I have, I'm going to have to stop eventually. That's going to be a bummer. I'm not going to want to let go. So, and, and it says here, he laid hands on them. As I said, I don't know exactly what or how he blessed them, but there is a blessing God has granted children. That if they die before reaching the age of accountability, they go to heaven. You know, what's that age? I've heard different opinions. I think it all depends on you're, you're old enough to understand about sin, heaven, hell. And that's why as horrible as abortion is and the millions of babies that have been murdered, the redeeming thing about all this is those babies right to be with the Lord. And there's nothing greater that can happen to a person. You know, it's horrible when children die. That's not supposed to happen. Too young, too soon. But they go to be with the Lord. Now, how do we know that? I had a neighbor uh, ask me one time. Because uh, I don't know how we got into the subject, but I, I said, you know, when kids die, they go to, to heaven to be with the Lord. And he goes, how do you know that? And I said, it's in the Bible. So let's turn i just talked about this for a little bit. 2nd Samuel. 2nd Samuel chapter 12. <clears throat> and y'all know what happened with David? David the man with many wives saw Bathsheba, desired her, went and took her, and she became pregnant. To hide his sin, he had the husband Uriah murdered. And so Second uh, Samuel chapter 12 starts out well, with Nathan. The Lord sends Nathan to David, and, and Nathan brings this matter before the king. You need to rule on this. This this happened in your kingdom. This is something terrible. You need to make a decision. You need to do something about this. And he said, he told David, there were two men in in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. Just like David, a rich man had many wives. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished and had grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. This poor man, uh, Uriah, one wife. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, the only lamb this guy had, and killed it and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Terrible thing to happen. Right? Can you imagine somebody coming to you and saying this has happened? And you got, right? So David naturally, oh, he's mad. His anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he told Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And I saw a movie one time about the life of David. A very powerful scene. And in this scene, when David says it to Nathan, Nathan turns to him and he goes, You're that man. And it was just, whoa. And that's what he says here. You are the man. And so, and then he goes, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now Nathan's going to relay a message to David from God. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if they had been too little, I also would have given you much more In other words, David, you could have had anything you wanted. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Amnon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So judgment upon David for what he did. But God's not done. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And here David does the right thing. Here he says the right thing. He's sinned. Not primarily against Uriah, Bathsheba. It's against God. And so Nathan replies, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. So here's the final judgment. This kid that you and Bathsheba are going to have, the kid's going to die. And so uh, it goes on to say, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. The baby didn't die right away, the baby was born, but it's sick verse 16, David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not. He would not get up, nor did he eat food with them. So he's in mourning, not mourning, but he's fasting, he's grieving, he's praying, Lord, please, please spare this child. The seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. Why? Well, they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him. He would not hear our voice. He would not eat. He was just laying on the ground. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. So they're thinking, David was in a mess while the baby was alive. We tell him the baby's dead, he's just going to... Totally go off the edge. But verse 19, David saw his servants were whispering. David perceived the child was dead. And so he said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, yes, he's dead. They had to tell him the truth. So what happened? David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. He worshiped. You know, this is... The heart of a man that truly loves God. This reminds me of Job. When all those things, all those tragedies happened to him, it says he fell to the ground and he worshipped. Because, as we say, circumstances don't change who God is. Troubles, tragedies don't change who God is. He is the same God. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And then the servants, they can't figure this out. They're bewildered. They said, what is this that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but the child dies and you arise and you, you eat. And David said, verse 22, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me and the, and the child may live? But now he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And then these last words, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I shall go to him. Where's David going to go when he dies? He's going to go be with the Lord. He's going to go see his son. And so, if you've lost a child or a grandchild, take comfort from the fact, if you're a born-again believer, you're going to see them again. And as horrible as that tragedy is, you're going to have all eternity, all eternity with them. And I know that, you know, Dan and Jackie have shared that you know Jackie had an abortion, and uh, you know, Jackie knows she's going to be with that, that child for all eternity. And all those, Don, you're going to be with it, your baby, all eternities. There's never going to be a time when you're not around them. That's the greatest blessing. One of the many blessings of heaven. I mean, there's so many blessings you can't even list them, but one of the many blessings of heaven, glorious reunions. Seeing parents, seeing siblings, loved ones, friends. They're already there waiting for us. So we're called to be like children. We're called to be child, childlike, not childish. And the Lord wants us to come to him eagerly with simple, trusting faith. And be looking to our Heavenly Father, expecting, as a child expects from their father and mother, expecting his protection, guidance, comfort, and strength, and knowing that whatever awaits us He's there for us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Understand that we have a good father that has our best interests at heart and that even when it's necessary to discipline us, to chasten us, that's just another example that he cares about us and he loves us with an everlasting love. We We got a great dad, a great Abba, and I know some people didn't have a great earthly dad. And my heart breaks for those people. But if you know the Lord, you, you, you got the best dad anyone could ever have. And again, we're going to have all eternity to be with him. Hallelujah. That, let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you just asked for Faith like a child. Simple faith. Just trusting as children trust. Believing. And we have your word. You've given us your word. And I I pray help us to believe that it's truth. Every word is truth. And Lord, that we just come before you with, with an eagerness to want to know you, to want to be with you, to want to be more like you, to want to spend time in your word, Lord God, because your word reveals who you are, and we can never know enough about you, Lord. We can never draw too close to you or become too much like you. And to just have that enthusiasm, Lord, to share, to share what we know, what we've experienced, We've been changed. We've been transformed. We've we've been made new creations, not even made over or improved, just totally brand new. And we know the fate that awaits all those who refuse the free gift of salvation. We know there's an eternity for a place for those who profess you as Lord and Savior a great place, a wonderful place called heaven. We also know there's a place, a horrible place of eternal suffering and pain and torment. that awaits all those, Lord. And your word says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God, but how will they hear unless someone tells them? We have a responsibility, Lord. And help us, help me especially, Lord, to open up my mouth. It's an easy thing to say words. And maybe we fear the response that's going to come. But you know what, Lord, you said, if they hate you, it's because they hate me. And they're not really hating on us. They're hating on you, Lord. And the great thing is, we're not called to save anybody. We're just called to Point people to the cross. To scatter seed. To throw out seed. Throw out the precious gospel, the word. And what that person does with it, that's between them and you. Thank you, Lord. You made it simple. You did the hard part. The extremely horrible hard part. But you did it because you love us so much. Help us to show the love we have for you by just calling what you've called us to do. Go out into all the world and preach the good news. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us and giving us the power to do what God wants us to do. We pray this all in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and worship our great and awesome God.